Amen? Father, we thank you. We thank you that we're here. We give you this study. Uh, thank you for getting us through this year. And great is your faithfulness. And new are your mercies every morning to us. And that continues in the new year. And Lord, I thank you that we can come together as one as we hear your word. And I do pray, as Paul wrote to the Philippian church, be of one accord, one spirit, one heart. Father, I pray that you would touch our hearts with your word now as we look at these two parables. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So if you've been with us in our study of Matthew chapter 13, the chapter opened with Jesus, of course, really he's at the height of his popularity at this time in his ministry. We will see in the next chapter, chapter 14, after defeating the 5,000, we will discuss how the crowds begin to diminish. They, they're coming to him only because they ate of the bread. Jesus in John chapter 6 says, you only come into me because of that, because of physical bread, but you need to come and eat of the heavenly bread. I'm the bread of life that comes from heaven, and as you eat of me and drink of me, you'll never hunger or thirst again. And the people begin to say, this is a hard saying. We know one of the Gospels also, after the feeding of the 5,000, said that the people were ready to crown him, take him by force to crown him as Messiah, and he dismissed the crowds. He begins to talk about more of discipleship. He begins to talk about that he's going to go to the cross and die uh, for the sins of the world, and even his disciples did not understand that. So the crowds begin to diminish um, as we will see as he gets closer to going to Jerusalem where he will die for sinful humanity. But at this time, he's very popular and great multitudes are coming to receive from him. So he would use this time to speak to them in parables. That is short stories that the people could relate to. They could understand the earthly story that he told, but it would have alongside of, and that's what para means, alongside of it a spiritual truth, a heavenly message. And Jesus, as he gave these parables, seven of them here in this chapter, for the parables that we have looked at. Now keep in mind that as he's speaking to the multitudes, he's in a boat, he's using the water of the Sea of Galilee to amplify his voice, and he tells of four parables to the multitude, the parable of the sower, and he explained that parable. Sower goes out to sow seed on different types of soil, and there's different results. They could understand the earthly story, but then he would give the heavenly meaning that the seed is the word of God that is planted on different types of hearts, the conditions of your heart, a hard heart, a stony heart. Uh, we want to have a good heart that it may produce fruit in our lives as the word of God is planted there and takes root and, and uh, produces fruit unto God. But then he would also tell the parable of the, uh, the um, mustard plant. He would tell the parable of the leaven, and he would then tell the parable of the wheat and the tares. So as he told four parables to the multitudes, he then dismisses the crowds. He goes back to the house. The disciples come to him and say, explain to us the parable of the wheat and the tares. So in these parables, we saw that Jesus explained to his disciples, you know, um, the meaning of the parable of the wheat and the tares that we saw. And as we discuss 
these three parables of the mustard plant and an 11 and also of the wheat and the tares that Jesus was telling us that the tares will grow with the wheat. The birds are going to nest in the branches of a mustard plant. Leaven is inserted in the meal as we looked at it. And Jesus warning us that in the church there's going to be leaven. Leaven speaks of carnality, sin. Uh, Paul would say to the Corinthian church when he was addressing sin in the church, he says, don't you know that a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump? You need to purge out the leaven. Jesus said to the disciples, he warned them of the leaven of the uh, Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So we can see the meanings of these parables, the spiritual meaning of them as we go through it. And then also the parable of the sower, that the bird that came, the birds, and took away the seed off the hard soil, that speaks of Satan himself. It, it speaks of the evil one, the tares that grow with the wheat. And when the Lord comes back, he's going to separate the wheat with the tares and the tares are going to be bounded up and burnt and the wheat is going to be gathered into the barn Jesus said that those who are righteous in Christ Jesus will be gathered unto the Lord while the tares the unbelievers that are going to be cast into everlasting fire where there's going to be wailing and gnashing of teeth pretty heavy word I love to talk about heaven I love to talk about eternal life that we have in Christ but we also know that the Bible and Jesus talked about that there is eternal separation from him for those who reject him in the gospel message. That hell is real and it is eternal. And there's the lake of fire and all these things that the Bible speaks about makes it very clear. So Jesus warning there in that parable and then he continues with the kingdom parables again the six of these parables called kingdom parables because they begin with as verse 44 let's read the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over he goes and sells all that he has and he buys the field now in this short one verse parable a man finds a hidden treasure and immediately he gives all that he has to buy the field. Now, I have heard this parable taught like this, that Jesus is our treasure, and the man who found the treasure is you or me. Is, it's us. And what we should do is that with joy, we should give up everything to follow the treasure of Jesus Christ. The problem with that interpretation is a couple things. Remember, as I've mentioned over the last couple weeks, going over these parables, that as we look at them, as we read them, we must keep in mind what is called expositional consistency. In other words, Jesus gives us the meaning of the parable of the sower. He gives us the meaning of the parable of the wheat and the tares, these two parables. The other parables in this chapter, he does not give the meaning so we must do our best to interpret what is being said. And the best way to do that is we let Scripture interpret Scripture. Be consistent in what Jesus identifies the symbols to be. So in the parable of the sower, as I've already said, he identifies the birds as Satan himself. Uh, coming and taking away the seed, the word of God that is planted in the heart that is hard. Uh, so the birds in scripture, oftentimes they speak about evil, something bad. Uh, I don't think it's that we're all birds, you know, in the body of Christ. We're going to come together and nest together in this beautiful mustard plant. I believe what Jesus was saying is that as the kingdom of God grows, that evil is going to make his presence. And, and we looked at that. And all throughout church history, we have seen that even today. 
we will talk again more specifically on New Year's Eve that there's a lot of false voices. We were warned that in the last days there will be false teachers and false prophets on the scenes and false Christ. So the scripture will interpret scripture and we can be consistent with our interpretations and understanding of the spiritual truth that Jesus is desiring for us to have. We know that in verse 38 of this chapter, if you were with us last week, that in the parable of the wheat and the tares that I told you to take note when Jesus gave the explanation to his disciples. And he said in that parable that the field represents the world. It is the world. And it's going to help us understand what is being said in this parable that we just read. But to say that the man is us, it doesn't fit. Did we give everything to purchase the world? No, of course not. Matter of fact, what we did is we forfeited the world over to Satan when man sinned in the garden. Adam, you're to have dominion over all the earth. Man was to have that, but when we sin, we forfeited it over to Satan. And that is why in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that Paul calls Satan the God, little g, of this world. Jesus himself said that Satan is the ruler of the world in John chapter 14, verse 30. And you might recall in our study of the temptation of Satan uh, to Jesus in chapter 4 of Matthew, also recorded in Luke chapter 4, that Satan took Jesus up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Remember that? And he said, these kingdoms are yours if you bow down and worship me. Now, Luke records that Satan said to him that all these kingdoms are yours and its glories, and they are mine to give to you. They're my kingdoms right now. They're to give to you if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus did not dispute that it was his to give. And as we discussed in Matthew chapter 4 in that temptation, what G Satan was trying to do is, I'll give you the world. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to, to go through that process, uh, through the sufferings. There's an easier way. Just bow down and worship me. And we know that Jesus, there was a purpose why he came. Not just to redeem a world, but he came for you and for me. To go to the cross, there would be no hope for you and for me if he didn't shed his blood on Calvary's cross and, and rise from the grave. And while we're on the subject, I just want to remind you that Satan offers the world worldly pleasures, worldly sin, carnality, all that he offers. Jesus said, what good is it if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? And Jesus would go to the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Jesus is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the whole world. He's not saying that there's universal salvation, but those who come to Christ, that he's the propitiation for our sins. Peter, he writes that we've been redeemed, that word redeemed, purchased. We've been bought, not by corruptible things such as silver and gold. All the money in the world, all the gold and silver in the world could not redeem your soul. But it was by the precious blood of the Lamb. 
In Acts chapter 20, as Paul's writing to the Ephesian elders, he says that you guys are, as he's speaking to them, we read in Acts chapter 20 that he said that you guys shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. So it is clear from Scripture that the field is the world, as Jesus said in this chapter, and Jesus is the one who has redeemed the world because the first Adam sold us out. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, bought us back. And the man here goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. Philippians chapter 2, that he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. I believe that Jesus is that man. And he came and he redeemed the world. Did he do it so he could have just the world? I mean, he's the, think about this. He's the creator of the universe. He has billions of worlds that are out there that he created. He has billions of planets. He spoke and it all came into existence. There was a purpose why he redeemed the world. He redeemed the world so he could have the treasure. And guess who the treasure is? It's you. It's you. And I believe what this parable is telling us is that you and I are so valuable to the Lord, so special to the Lord that he sees us as a treasure. And he values you and he loved you enough to allow himself to suffer, to go to Calvary's cross. It was God's promise that he would send his son to provide a way for salvation. In the fullness of time, he gave of his son, Galatians chapter 4, and he went to that cross for forgiveness and reconciliation that would come to us. It's the only way for him to have the treasure, you and I. And someday he's going to take us out of this field and we're going to be gathered to him. And we will be with him for all eternity. And please always remember how you are valued by the Lord. You are very special to the Lord. And as you do, it's going to bless your heart and comfort your heart. Now, as we go through these parables, it's interesting. If you read commentators and Bible scholars, they will say that this parable of the buried treasure was a parable that was spoken to Israel. And then the next parable, let's read it in verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. This is the, the parable of the pearl of great price, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. That this parable is for the Gentiles. And I, I don't dispute that. The reason they say that the, the treasure in the field, the parable of the hidden treasure is for Israel is because in Exodus chapter 19, verse five Moses tell the people the children of Israel obey my voice keep my covenant then you'll be a special treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine and in Psalm 135 verse 4 God has chosen Jacob for himself Israel for a special treasure so I won't argue with that but I think we can make application and bring it home closer that you are a treasure as well to the Lord you're valuable to the Lord now they will say that this parable in verses 45 and 46 that we read the parable of the great pearl or the great price pearl of great price that that's for the Gentiles because the Jews weren't into pearls they were into gems the breastplate of the high priest, 12 stones representing 12 tribes of Israel. Pearls are not mentioned in the Old Testament, maybe a vague reference in the book of Job. And, of course, I think that, you know, that is an application. But it, 
we want to bring it home closer to us. What is it telling you and me today? Once again, we see the pearl of great price. There are those who say that that's Jesus, being Jesus, a, a man sells all that he has to purchase him. The problem with that is God's love and forgiveness and salvation is free. It's a gift. We don't purchase it with our own works and efforts and worthiness. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So who is the one who sold all that he had to purchase the pearl? That was Jesus. So what is or who is the pearl? Again, it's you. It's me. So once again, this parable is telling us that people could understand that pearls were valuable. And the spiritual meaning is Jesus was so excited about you. Did you know that he knew you before the foundations of the world? He set his love on you before the world was even made. That's incredible to me. And he was so in love with you that he purchased a field to take you, the treasure, out. To redeem or purchase the pearl. And how, again, I just pray that that gets imprinted on our hearts and that we would live in that and remember that and find comfort in that truth. That we would not buy into the lie of the enemy that whispers into each one of our ears. And I've heard that whisper. That God doesn't really love you, Jeff. You know, he doesn't care about you. Matter of fact, he's annoyed by you. He, he's indifferent to you. You irritate him. Maybe it's just me, but I've felt that way before. And I'm sure, though, that you have as well. And I also know you probably know how a pearl is formed. A natural pearl will begin with an irritating piece of sand or dirt in the shell of the oyster. And because the speck of dirt is irritating to the oyster, it begins to secrete a layer of substance, which then hardens and becomes an actual pearl. And larger the, the piece of sand or dirt, the more irritating that it is, the larger, the more beautiful the pearl will be. And you and I are a pearl of great price. And when you come to Jesus and surrender yourself to him, you are coated with his righteousness. You are surrounded by his grace and love. And we can feel like I'm such an irritation to God. I know when I was first a, a Christian, I used to really wrestle with that. Lord, I'm nothing. I have nothing to offer you. You, know, you must be so disappointed in me. You must be so annoyed with me. I fall short. I'm not what I could be. I'm not what I should be. There are times I just felt like a spiritual waste. And there are moments and there are times even now where the enemy will say, God doesn't love you. You just irritate him. And I think, Lord, I'm trying. But God's word begins to minister to me how valuable I am to God. And you see, it isn't like some of the messages today is, I'm wonderful, I'm beautiful, I'm great. You know, the word faith and messages of the best of you and all of this. I'm a mess. <laughs> I'm a sinner. It's how great you are, Lord. 
how great your love is. To say that I'm valuable, that I'm important to you, I'm a treasure. And as I receive you, Lord, in your love and submit to you, I can live in your grace and your mercy and forgiveness and love, not because of who I am, because of who you are. Not because of me, but in spite of me. Lord, you've made me a trophy for your glory, a valuable gem of your grace. And you see, the Apostle Paul, he would write in Romans chapter 5, that God demonstrated or proved his love for us, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So wouldn't it Christ die for you, for me, when you were going to church? Did he, you know, love you and die for you when you were reading your Bibles and praying every day? And God said, okay, now I guess you've earned my love. No, when we were yet sinners, he looked at me, he looked at you, he looked at me when I was nothing more than a piece of dirt, or I felt like a piece of dirt. An irritation, and he said, I'll make provision for you, redeem you, come to me. I'll forgive you, make you a new creation in Christ, and I'll make you a thing of beauty. And in Revelation chapter 21, verse 21, the gates of Jerusalem are told to us, the new Jerusalem that we're going to live in for all eternity. That those gates into the new Jerusalem are made of pearls. I don't think it's a mistake because every time we walk through those gates, we're going to just marvel for all eternity concerning God's grace. Now, I grew up when I was a kid in Kansas. My grandpa was a jeweler. He had a jewelry store. It was known in Topeka, had it downtown uh, for many years. And we would go as grandkids, we would go and stay at the jewelry store and we would watch him. He, he you know, would fix watches and uh, he would sell diamonds and he would teach us certain things. I remember how to tell a real diamond from a fake diamond, uh, pearls. His claim to fame was that he sold some pearls to Marilyn Monroe. And she came in the store, and he sold her some. My grandma said, I don't know if that story's true, but that's what he says. But we believed it. But he would tell us that a pearl, that the way to do damage to a pearl is human perspiration, sweating. Perfume, too much perfume, but human perspiration. Over time, it will have a negative effect on pearls. It will begin to affect the beauty of the pearl. You know, one thing that will ruin the beauty of God's grace is sweaty efforts to gain God's approval. We want to live in obedience. We're called to righteousness. Of course, we're called to keep his commandments, for this is the love of God, that his commandments are not burdensome. To walk with him, to know him. Should we continue and send that grace abound? Certainly not. But you see, we do it because he first loved us, and we do it because of grace and because we're not trying to earn God's love and approval. We have God's love and approval. It isn't, look at me, Lord. Aren't I so wonderful because of my efforts or because of my works? And you see this morning we come into this place and we can truly marvel and how he sees us as a pearl, as a treasure. And we can say, Lord, I know that I don't have to try to add to it. I can just receive it and rejoice in it and live in your love. And you will do more in love than you ever do in your own efforts. Because we all fall short. And thank you, Lord.
I'm going to live in your love and in your grace. And my confidence isn't in me, but it's in you. And I was valuable enough to you and precious enough to you and important enough to you that Jesus came to be born in Bethlehem and he came for a purpose. And this Christmas, I pray that that is more real to you than ever before. I bring you tidings of great joy that will be to all people, that's you, born in the city of David as Savior, Christ the Lord. So we don't have to be afraid. And we can marvel. And we can have goodwill. And we can have peace and joy that the world doesn't have because of his love for us and his provision for us. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these two short parables that we looked at that tells us something very, very important. And that is the, how great your faithfulness is and your love and provision for us. And I do pray if there's anyone listening online or in this place or later on the radio, you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. He loves you. It's why he came to this world. As he took that cross and went to that place of execution, it was because of his love for you to make provision for you. He is your salvation. It isn't you trying to be religious. It isn't you trying to be righteous. We can't. It is faith in him, the one who did the work on the cross and cried out, it is finished. He paid the price. He made atonement for our sins and was put into a grave and he rose again and he's alive. He's the only one that did that for you. And he is your salvation. He is the Savior of the world. There is none other. And the invitation is given to come to him, not to religion, not to a church, but to him personally. And to call out to him. He says, come home. I love you and I've redeemed you. You're a treasure to me. I want to take you home to the Father. It comes by calling out to Him and believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that God raised Him from the dead. Believe in what He did for you on Calvary's cross and you will be saved. Humbling yourself and repenting and turning and calling out to him. He loves you so much. If you haven't done that, today's the day of salvation. We give each other gifts for Christmas. Well, here's the greatest gift and a free gift that is given to you, the gift of salvation. As you call upon him, will you do that if that means anything for anyone? To say, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me and forgive me a sinner and that you rose again and I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for this new beginning. And I thank you for your love for me, for saving me. And I do want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And for all of us, that we would remember his love for us every single day. His faithfulness and how he sees us. And that we would live in that love and rest the eternal plan that he has for us. Lord, I thank you. In Jesus' name.